0: Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. God is good. I I, just before we get into the word here, I want to just mention. uh, Next week we are going to be receiving communion. It's the last day of the 21-day fast, and so we're going to break our fast with a little wafer. You don't wanna start eating too much. You know, just eat a little bit. So we'll, we'll uh, break the fast uh, with the way, and really we're gonna break the fast after the annual business meeting next Sunday night. So if you are a voting partner, that's our version of membership. If you are a voting partner, we ask that you would come out for that meeting. We're gonna give you some updates, and it's very important because we do wanna bring before the congregation a vote on some missions projects. Uh, now our bylaws, Uh, that the church adopted, we adopted as a church family, do invest the board with the authority to make those decisions. But we really think it's important for us to be all in, all of us, to put our yes behind what we're gonna do. And so we wanna bring some opportunities uh, before you as a congregation so that we can have a vote. and, uh, And then just bring you an update. God has been good this year. He's always good, but he's been very generous there's good things happening, and we want to bring you up today. It's kind of our State of the Union address, and uh, the way we guarantee these meetings are always short is that we break our fast after the meeting, and so I'm, I'm usually, I am already have all the food laid out, just ready to cook before I'm here, and uh, I'm salivating past halfway through the the uh, meeting, But so it's real important for you to be here. Now, you're welcome to come if you are not a partner, a voting member. Uh, you're more than welcome to come. You just won't have a vote, and that's fine. Uh, if you, you, know, you don't have to be a partner to be part of the Char- Heartland family. Uh, it's, uh, it's just a way to, there's criteria for membership that you are saying, I'm buying in. And uh, if you want to do that, we will be having another membership class this year, probably two of them. And uh, so just don't forget communion next week and uh, the annual business meeting next week as well. And uh, the reason that's important is because what we're gonna do here, where we're gonna land this this morning, God willing, I've got six pages of notes, which is rare for me. I don't, I don't usually bring that many notes to the pulpit, but I got a lot I want to say this morning. And so we may not get through all of it, but where I want to get is I want us to prepare to receive communion next week. I want us to get our hearts right, not only with the Lord, but with one another. I believe that the Lord wants to deal, go down deep and deal with any offenses, any, any unrighteous judgments, any kind of uh, any grievances, any kind of uh, our own opinions that we've cast on people that have kept us from having a deeper relationship. Because what we are crying out for, it's gonna require that we deal with those things. And so we're gonna receive communion, and, and uh, God willing, I'm gonna unpack uh, that element, that facet of communion. We, use, we often think of communion uh, as honoring the Lord's death and resurrection, and it surely is. Uh, then we even may add that dimension that, Lord, we're going to repent before you. We want our hearts right before you because we don't want to take of the Lord's Supper unrighteously like Paul said. But there's another dimension to that that Paul alludes to, and that is our relationship with one another. We've got to recognize the body of the Lord. We've got to recognize that we are one. And I, it's just like I can't say to my wife, baby, I love your head, but your body turns me off. Not a wise thing to do. (laughs) My wife is a package deal. I'm a package deal. And she either accepts me or rejects me. And the same is true with the Lord. To have a relationship with the Lord means we have to have a relationship with his body. We're going to get into this this morning. But it's very, very clear in scripture that the body of Christ is the fullness of God. What I'm trying to say very, very clearly is this, that there are dimensions of God you cannot touch alone. You can be filled with the Spirit alone, you can have encounters alone, God can show you things in his Bible, but I'm telling you, there's a limit, there's a lid on your life and your relationship with God. There are elements, there are dimensions of God's character and nature you will never touch, you will never see, there's revelation you will never get outside of your corporate relationship with God. We talk a lot about our individual relationship. Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? And that's where it starts, but it's meant to move into your corporate relationship with God, this. And if we don't have this, you are sealing your fate. You are at best gonna remain immature. There are things you will never realize outside of your corporate relationship with God. There are things of himself he hides within the other people in this room, that he will never give you directly from him. He's going to give that to you from the people around you. Often the answer to our prayer is actually sitting next to us on a Sunday morning. And we're so busy asking God for something that he's already provided in a relationship right next door. And sometimes, this is bad news, sometimes... That answer comes in a package that you're somewhat irritated with. (laughs) Sometimes it's the person that rubs you wrong. There's a treasure beneath the surface and you've got to overcome your own unrighteous judgments and our own. uh, And I'm not preaching at you this morning. I'm preaching to you and then sitting down in the pew and receiving it, okay? God wants to deal with our hearts There is something deeper that he longs to release to us, but it's only going to come to us as we step into our destiny as a church family. Not just fellow attenders. We're not just members of a club. We are family. And only as we move into those deep, types of relationships? Will we discover some of the treasures that sit in this room? Amen. So let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. And Lord, I'm asking God that you would speak to us very clearly. Lord, I ask that you would stir hunger. Lord, stir us this morning. Lord, for these 21 days, in different forms and fashions, Lord, we've set aside food, the delicacies we so enjoy, because we're hungrier for you than we are for food, Lord. God, we are desperate for you. And so, Lord, I'm asking that you would stir our hearts this morning. Pierce the hardness, God. Pierce Lord, the dullness that we've picked up over the last number of months, soften our hearts, Lord, so we can be tenderized towards you and towards one another. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Many of you have heard that phrase. Uh, it's, it's, they say what a preacher's job is, and many of you have heard it, but it's come back to me just in the last few days. A preacher's job is to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. To comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. And it's my prayer that God would stir me out of any apathy in the hidden recesses of my heart. And I'm praying the same for you. Telling you, we are in desperate need of a move of God in this nation. When we were worshiping this morning, this is not my sermon, so don't hold it against my time. In worship this morning, I just, I was thinking of that passage where the woman with the issue of blood, she had gone everywhere, looking for an answer. She had spent her fortune. She was now broke and still, her life was eking out of her. She had a bleeding issue. And she went on her hands and knees through a tight crowd to just touch him. She said, if I can just touch him, I know I will receive my healing. The disciples, when Jesus turned around, he said, who touched me? And the disciples are like, Lord, man, everybody's pressing in on you. Everybody's touching you. But there was a different type of touch that woman had. She laid claim to what he carried. And I'm telling you, if in your desperation you lay hold of who he is, he will release something to you that will change your life many of us, our lives are eking out all around us. This world is so fleeting. This world is so empty and vain. Even the blessings of this world are vain without him. Solomon, the richest man in the world said, life is meaningless under the sun. If you take him out of the equation, it comes up zero. And what we need is we need to lay hold of him by faith so that his virtue will flow to us. And that's what we're fasting for. So we're, this is what I want to preach on this morning. That was a freebie. I want to preach on this. What, what are we praying for? I want us to, I want to hone in our focus in this last week of the fast. I want us to be praying in one accord for this thing. Now, of course, this thing has four dimensions to it, Okay. I want to talk about the four facets or the four dimensions of the Spirit. Our relationship with the Spirit of God, there are four distinct yet progressive elements to our relationship with the Holy Spirit. One builds upon the other. And each of them is summed up in this beautiful analogy in scripture of water. All through scripture, water will often represent the moving of the spirit, the operation of the spirit in our life. Some of you have heard me in passing mention these before. But I want to dive down deep on some things this morning to get us where we need to go this morning to prepare us for next week. So the four, the, the four analogies, the four dimensions are this. There are wells of salvation. There are rivers of living water. There are outpourings or the rain of the Spirit. And then the final one that uh, a number of years ago I went into an open vision and the Lord spoke to me about something that Prior to that, I was not I was not excited about this terminology, but I've I've begun to understand that it is the zenith, it is the ultimate expression of the Spirit, and that is the dew of Hermon. It's the dew of heaven, Scripture calls it. So we have wells in which we reach down and we draw up rivers or or waters rather of salvation, Isaiah says. He said, You will draw from the well of salvation and it speaks of the joy that comes from that that's where our relationship with him begins our relationship with the Spirit begins when we surrender to Jesus and we are born again theologians call it regeneration Jesus told Nicodemus you must be born again regeneration is just a 50 cent theological term for what Jesus was saying Born again. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. And we needed new life to enter into our spirit. We were born dead. Our, our, our spirit man was dead. And when you got saved, the spirit came into you and resided within you. He was the indwelling spirit in measure. His spirit became wed to your spirit. And so you were born again. And that's where it begins. And so we need to draw from the wells of salvation. And we drink deep of that. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, I've got good news for you. You can step into eternal life right now. Jesus purchased your salvation. I'm just going to read some things lest I miss some things. Experientially, the believer enters into partnership with God's purpose through salvation. Isaiah 12.3 speaks of drawing water from the wells of salvation. We must first be saved before we can partner with God. Prior to salvation, we resisted his purposes. At salvation, God then enlists us, he invites us to be co-laborers or collaborators is the modern way to say it. Paul called us co-laborers. The modern terminology is we're collaborators with God. In other words, God has put things in you he wants to release from you. And not all of it is the anointing, some of it is the unique personality and creativity he placed within you and he wants your fingerprints on what he does And only together with him can you bring forth that unique expression of who God created you to be to human history. And it's a crying shame when God is robbed of what he put within you as gifting because we either resist the spirit or we're ignorant of it. In order to do so, we must move into the second expression of the Spirit. So that second expression is the well, the, the rivers of living water. Now John, in the book of John chapter 7, Jesus is talking. He said, he said uh, all who are thirsty, come, drink deeply, and out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. And then John adds this to Jesus' words. John commentates on that, and he says this. He says that he was speaking of the spirit that had not yet been given. Now, lucky for us, we're on the other side of that promise. The spirit has been given. So Jesus was talking about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And we need to understand this, that salvation and the baptism are distinct uh, the baptism of the baptismal is, is, Holy Spirit is distinct from and subsequent to salvation. Let me say it again. It's distinct from. It's, they're not the same experience. And the baptism is subsequent to salvation. Now, I know that there are movements, there are theological schools of thought that say you get it both at once. And you may seconds apart, but I'm telling you, they're distinct from and separate, you know, separate from and distinct, uh, you know, subsequent to salvation. We see this in the book of Acts. We, we see several examples. Uh, in Acts, Acts chapter, I want to say it's eight, yeah, Acts chapter eight, 12 through 17. Let's turn there. Acts chapter eight, verses 12 through 17. I want you to see this very clearly. The problem with electronic Bibles is they have a mind of their own. Okay, Acts chapter 12. I mean, Acts chapter 8, verse 12. Okay. Matter of fact, look at verse 12. Yeah, that's what I said, right? Okay, you gotta you got bear with me. My mind is a little slow when I'm fasting, okay? All right. Uh, But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Now, understand that in the New Covenant, in the New Testament, the apostles never baptized unbelievers. In fact, John the Baptist wouldn't when people came to him and said hey we want to be baptized he said wait a minute you bring forth the fruit of repentance and then i'll baptize you into it baptism was a ceiling after the fact so philip understood he recognized they had received christ they received the message both men and women, they were baptized. Verse 13, even Simon himself, the sorcerer, after being baptized, he continued with Philip, and seeing signs and wonders, signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now verse 14, but when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Verse 16, for they He had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized into the name of Jesus into the name of the Lord Jesus. So you see these people that were converted, they are baptized into Christ. They were born again, yet they had not yet received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Now, why, do I, why am I making a big deal out of this? For a couple of reasons. Number one, uh, some of you were raised in a church that that's very clear. to You're like, Pastor, that's foundational. Not to every movement. There's other of you that were taught that the baptism in the Holy Spirit comes at salvation. It's really the same act. I don't have time to deal with the problem text. I've dealt with it before. If you have any questions, see me. Maybe I'll put out a video on it. But 1 Corinthians 12, 13, uh, the wrong interpretation of that verse will set you uh, in the wrong direction on this matter. And so we see very clearly here. Here's someone saved, yet yet the Spirit had not yet fallen upon them is the language that Luke uses. We see it again in Acts chapter 19, where... uh, uh, Apollos was in Ephesus, chapter 18, and it says that he was discipling these people. He preached the gospel, he was very eloquent, very knowledgeable, he was preaching the gospel. There were a bunch of disciples that were saved, but it, it notes that Apollos knew only of the baptism of John. He didn't understand the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Apollos had a deficiency in his theology, a hole in his understanding. Priscilla and Aquila come to town at the end of that chapter, and they start to disciple him and show him things that he didn't understand. They leave Ephesus, and Paul arrives in Ephesus in chapter 19, and he comes upon some disciples, and he said, hey, have you guys received the Spirit since you believed? And they said, we didn't even know there was a Spirit. All we knew was the baptism of John. Who do you think those guys were? Why did Luke mention the deficiency in John's theology? Because they were very clearly the disciples of John. They were individuals who had been discipled by a guy who only gave him what he understood, and therefore that's all they had. They didn't understand the baptism and the Holy Spirit. Now, well, let's ask another question. Why would Paul even ask that question to believers if it was not possible for that to be the case? To be born again without the Spirit of God coming upon you, and so Paul instructed them, laid hands on them, they were baptized in the Spirit. I think it says they spoke in tongues and prophesied. So the gifts of the Spirit were imparted to them. As a side note, we've talked about this a number of times over the last couple of years. There are three categories of spiritual gifts in the New Testament. I'm not going to belabor this. There's Romans 12, the gifts of the Father. Ephesians 4, very clearly the gifts of the Son, and 1 Corinthians 12, very clearly the gifts of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit only show up in churches that believe in a baptism in the Holy Spirit. Because it's when you receive him that he brings his gifts to you. So that's a side note. So this is a very important point because God brings you in your experience of the, the Spirit as you draw from the wells of salvation at the born again experience, but I'm telling you there is more. There is more. God has more for to you, for you. And let me. Uh, one of the reasons I had someone come up to me and ask me about the doctrine of Heartland and what we believe because someone had uh, someone they'd heard that there were some people outside of Heartland saying that uh, Heartland requires that you speak in tongues. Uh, that, that they we believe that if you don't speak in tongues you're not saved and let me go on record very adamantly and tell you that is not what we believe you can be born again head into heaven be a wonderful person I know plenty of them godly men and women that do not speak in tongues don't believe in the baptism in the Holy Spirit in the way we do they believe you got it all at salvation and they're going to heaven This is what the Methodists used to call the second blessing, okay? So we believe in the baptism in the Holy Spirit as distinct from and separate from salvation. So we believe you can go to heaven, not speak in tongues, go to heaven, not be baptized in the Spirit, not even believe in spiritual gifts, okay? So I'm addressing that crowd and saying, that's what we believe. Anybody asked you? Give them this recording. Number two, now let's preach to us. The fact is, you can speak in tongues and not be spirit-filled. Let me just let that one settle for a moment. Just because you spoke in tongues 30 years ago doesn't mean you're walking in the spirit today. To be spirit-filled, you, gotta, you have to keep on being filled Just like with Moses, the glory diminished on his face, what you received 20 years ago will diminish unless you refill. And so we need to be, uh, let's hold that thought about the refilling because we're gonna get into that. One of the ways God replenishes your river, okay? I wish we could have question and answers when we preach. It would get messy but I think it would, it would be helpful, especially because Corey's here. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Corey, Corey always, he always challenges me in class, and I love that guy, I, I love his questions. Okay, let me, let me just read a few things here real quick, okay? God desires to do more than merely save us. He desires to enlist us in his purposes. In order to do so, we must be empowered. This empowerment is both internal and external. Guys, this is a little theology course, okay? I'm gonna walk you through some of our beliefs and how this is grounded in scripture and how this thing works, okay? Because you can't behave unless you believe. So we wanna cooperate, we wanna align ourselves with him, but the gateway for that to happen is God Instructing your mind. So this empowerment is both internal and external. Internally, it is power over sin and every other distraction. Now, whereas the Methodists in the holiness movement, they looked at the baptism in the Holy Spirit as the internal work. to. I had a Bible school professor. He was Pentecostal, but he came from the holiness background. He, came from, he was a Methodist and then came into the holiness movement. And I had Holy Spirit class, pneumatology with him. And he would always emphasize, it's the Holy Spirit. Because in their theology, the main empowerment is internal, Now we as Pentecostals, we interpret that as empowered externally for ministry. Which one is right? Uh Uh-huh. And we Pentecostals need to get a hold of this thing to realize it's by the power of the Spirit, Paul said, that we put to death the misdeeds of the flesh. And the Holy Spirit coming upon you will empower you over sin in your life because he comes in a baptism of love. Jesus put it this way, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. In other words, the secret of the obedient life is not white knuckling and gritting your teeth, putting a lock and chains on the refrigerator so you won't eat what you shouldn't. It is being constrained internally by a higher affection. Where we're so, when we encounter him, we find he first loved me, and I can't help but have a reciprocal love. I'm I'm caught by him, and I love him, and I'm, I'm indebted to him, and I don't want to hurt his heart. And we find that those sinful habits begin to fall off in our life. So that baptism of love frees us internally from sin and externally it does empower you to give it away again the gifts of the spirit come when the spirit comes upon you and he wants to empower us with boldness I was credentialed with the Assemblies of God for many years, and what we would emphasize, I went to a school that was associated with the Assemblies, and what we would always emphasize is the boldness that comes from the Spirit, and that is true. Why? Because perfect love casts out fear. When you are broken for the soul of that eight-foot biker that looks real scary, and is cursing and yelling, All of a sudden, what overcomes that fear is a love, a concern for him. Perfect love casts out fear. We operate it. Faith works by love. How do you release the faith gifts? Through love. But how do we develop love? Get a revelation of his love for you. The taproot of character and power are the baptism of love, Paul puts it this way, Romans 5, God shed his love abroad in our heart. How? By the spirit. The spirit of God overwhelms us and we get a revelation of who he is. So we need that fresh empowerment. Oh my goodness, it's getting late. Um, The baptism of the Holy Spirit cannot be experienced until we are born again, until until we're regenerate. Uh, One author, I'll just skip that. Uh, Someone, skip that too. (laughs) The baptism of the Holy Spirit is both distinct from and subsequent to the experience of salvation. That's why you can be saved and never receive the baptism and go to heaven. Let me dial down on this one point. You can be saved and not baptized. You can be saved and not speak in tongues. Salvation the baptism of the Holy Spirit are two different issues. However, you are living, if you live that way, you are living beneath your birthright. You have an inheritance that you aren't spending. You are leaving resources on the table and you're cheating yourself And here's the real kicker. You're cheating the sacrifice of Christ. If you do not press in and claim your blood-bought birthright, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, he longs to come upon you in power. There are many believers within the church, highly committed with beautiful hearts, who believe you receive the baptism at salvation. There are two tragic problems with this belief. I'm just gonna read this because I'll get off on a tangent if I don't. There are two tragic problems with this belief. In believing they have received it all at salvation, they hunger for no more. They've been told you already have it. So any, any awakening aspirations, any awakening desire, it's quelled by, hey, calm down. You'll get it in heaven. You'll experience him in heaven, but you have it all down here. That's tragic. Their spiritual hunger is truncated, cut off. The second problem with that belief is this. When they meet somebody walking in power and operating in a spiritual gift, they're forced to conclude that is simply because God has sovereignly chosen to do that with them. They, they, they're, they're forced to believe, oh, they're, they're a special person that God sovereignly decided to give that to. They're one of the few and the rest of us are just spectators. But the fact is God has it for all of us. Right. Peter's line in the famous Pentecost sermon when the giving of the spirit that John was talking about, the spirit that had not yet been given, it was given in, in uh, Acts chapter two Peter said, this gift is for you and all your children to those who are far off. It's for everyone. God never changed his mind. This is the plan of God's kingdom. They fail to realize it's for everyone and God will respond to their hunger just as readily as readily as he did to the one who was walking in their anointing. Okay, third expression, all right? the outpourings of the Spirit. So you have wells, we begin to drink of the well, but then we, we take a drink, and that drink becomes a river that flows from us that others can enjoy. And there's a flow of the Spirit that is to be released from your life. And every one of us is supposed to walk in that. And unless you do, you're living below your inheritance. I'm not trying to condemn you, I'm trying to stir your hunger. I'm trying to wet your thirst and and let you see there's a divine invitation from heaven that there is always more. Nobody has ever touched all that God has available for his church. I don't care if you're talking the Apostle, Paul, Moses, or David. Nobody has touched all that God has for us. There's always more. Why? Because God's infinite and we're finite. Our understanding is finite. And what's behind your limited understanding is the more. So cry out for revelation and experience of the more. And that's what God responds to, okay? So the next expression is this idea that's throughout scripture about the outpourings of the spirit. Scripture talks about the former rain and the latter rain and and how the former rain caused the seed to take root Many will look at that as Pentecost where the seed of the church took root. And then the final, the latter rain at the end of the season would bring that, that harvest to fruition. And a lot of people look at that as the end time outpouring of the church. And make no mistake about it, the end time church will be a church walking in victory. We're not gonna be, we're not gonna be limping along scared of the Antichrist, okay? God, this God is looking for a church without spot or wrinkle. Jesus Himself said, "The end time is the harvest. The greatest harvest in human history will happen at the end of the age." Don't care what your eschatology is. If you think it's happening, you know, soon or later, I'm just telling you, whenever it comes, we are talking about tremendous harvest, and it's going to happen by the outpouring of the Spirit, bringing that thing to fruition. So the outpouring of the Spirit is essential for us as believers because it replenishes the riverbeds. You ever notice how some years, man, the riverbeds are getting low. The pond out here is getting low. And then we have a rain. And it begins to rise. What you receive in the baptism of the Holy Spirit is often replenished in the corporate outpouring of the Spirit. Now the fact is we can have our own personal outpouring. And that is really where it begins. Somebody, at least one man or one woman have to be empowered. One man or one woman have to have the spirit come upon them and they lay hold of this thing so that there's breakthrough for the greater body of people. Whether God has a little company or a big one, it doesn't matter. But they need Heaven needs somebody to lay hold of this thing. And so here's the thing, you can receive your own individual baptism in the Holy Spirit, your own individual outpouring, but what God's end zone is, is to create bright and shining lampstands called churches and regions, where the Spirit of God is heavy and hot and people know If I'm in trouble, I can run to that place. And there's something about geographic locations. God is the, the greatest territorial spirit you will ever encounter. Okay, we talk about territorial spirits. God is the territorial spirit. And God takes territory one designated area at a time. He first wants the patch of ground over which you rule. God has delegated a measure of authority. I own a house. Well, I own most of it. The bank owns some too. But I own most of my house. I own that ground. My name is on the deed. Therefore, I have legal authority over that ground. And I'm keeping hell out of it. It has no authority here. And I, I on an ongoing basis, I let the enemy know, you're not allowed here. You're not welcome here. Get out. Leave. Sometimes we need to address the enemy. When you feel oppression and confusion in the air, address the enemy. That's right. I'm, I'm a wild charismatic. I believe in spiritual warfare. I don't really believe in the living Jesus raised from the dead, who in bodily form sits at the right hand of the Father. I believe in a very evil devil and his hordes that are out to destroy my life and the life of my family. And so we need to deal with those things. I'll hear people say this, and, and there's truth to this. I'm not, I'm not negating the reality. It's just insufficient to sum up all that is. People will say, I am the open heaven. Why pray for revival? Have one. I am revival. And often the people I hear say that really are. Everywhere they go, man, God breaks out. God moves through them, and that's a wonderful thing. But what I'm saying is that is not the ultimate. That's not what God is after. God is after breaking out over bodies of people where we steward together not only what's coming from heaven but what's in each other. That's what God is really after. God never intended us to live for personal revival and personal salvation and personal breakthrough. God intends for you to leverage your personal breakthrough for breakthrough in the greater body of Christ and region. That's what God is after. Let me get back to my notes. Or we're gonna be here till three. Hey, since we're not eating, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> the outpourings of the Spirit. This is environmental and geographically, a, a, it, this is environmental and a geographically distinct phenomena where in, individuals who have been personally revived contend for an open heaven. They cry out for what they have experienced individually to be experienced corporately and regionally. We don't have time to get into it, but I'm telling you, the topography of the spiritual realm There is a very real spiritual realm all around us. It's here right now. It's right here. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's right here, it's all around us. And there is a topography of the spiritual realm. There are geographic boundary lines to the spirit because in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, first verse of the Bible. Why do you think he put that first? because he was going to address those two realities. And he created them simultaneously, and both were created for man. God didn't create the heavens for his dwelling place. He told Solomon, even the heavens cannot contain me. He created them for you and I. And we are uniquely gifted with equipment to function in both areas. We have a body to function down here in the physical realm and a spirit to function in the spiritual realm. And there are, there, is, there is unique dynamics to different places geographically. The reason the enemy operates in distinct geographic areas is because man does. Daniel wrestled with the prince of Persia. Why was that principality in the heaven named after a geographic region below? Below because his authority was connected with that geographical area down here. And so when you and I are crying out for revival, we're praying God, displace the principalities over this region, cripple them, so that you can work unhindered in the lives of your people. If you've ever been in a true revival, there's something different about the atmosphere. I'll never forget when Brownsville first woke out 20, I don't know, 25 years ago now, 20, almost 30 years ago probably, I'm getting old. I remember walking in the doors of that place the first time. I got down there early enough, you didn't have to stand in line. Within a few months, people would stand in line all night long. Preachers in their suits, we all wore suits back then. Preachers in their suits would stand there in the pouring rain for hours just to get a seat in the building. Why? Because God was in the house. And the human hunger was laying hold of him. It was like the bleeding woman grabbing the hem. They were putting a claim on him and God was responding. I'm telling you, you walk in that place and revelation would just open. I would see things in the word. I can go into houses of prayer, and I love to study in one because there's an open heaven revelation. There, there's a revelatory environment because it's been, it's been cultivated through prayer. Man, I can get things from the Lord out of, out of the word. It's like, oh man, this is a good environment. Why? Because the groundwork has happened. The enemy is being crippled in the heavenlies through that worship and that intercession rising to God. So we talk about revival. We're talking about a geographic area. Sometimes it's just a church property. Sometimes it's a city. We've seen that in human history. Sometimes it's an entire nation. The Hebrides revival, there was this atmospheric revival in the air. There's a famous story. Duncan Campbell led the Hebrides revival. There's a famous story. There were 400 young people in a dance hall getting their jig on, however they did, you know, in that that era. And uh, they're boogieing down. I want to say it was in the 40s. Uh, but they're, they're boogying down. And uh, all of a sudden, conviction fell on them en masse. And en masse, they said, we've got to get to the church. They were convicted. They ran to the church to get saved. The police called Duncan Campbell and said, get up. Get to the church. There's, convert, there's people waiting to be preached to so they can get right with God. That is called Atmospheric it's in the air. I'm telling you, God can do it again. God can do it in Ankeny, Iowa. I want to see God do it across years, but I'm not responsible for what God does outside of here. I'm responsible to the metron of authority God's delegated to this church. And Heartland is our land, and we need to stake our claim. And you may have personal revival, and that is awesome, and keep going after it, but until it breaks out corporately so others can enter into the price you paid for and enjoy what you've labored for, then don't stop pressing in. Personal revival is not enough. I remember years ago, we're not gonna get finished this morning. I remember years ago, I was in, in a Carretero, Mexico, preaching with uh, Christopher and I went down there. Juan Carlos had started this church, Juan Carlos Manzowicz, some of you remember him, and uh, he's got this church planning movement across the world. So he invited us to come down, and uh, my goodness, what a campus. The sanctuary probably sat 1,800 to 2,000, maybe, maybe even more. It was state of the art. It was a, a, a college campus that they were renting. It was beautiful, state of the art. And I remember going in there, and what I felt in the atmosphere was this, because Juan Carlos had moved to Argentina to start the Bible school that we sowed into, that we invested in. And I remember going in there and I felt, wow, man, what an atmosphere. But I had this distinct impression that they were enjoying an atmosphere that they didn't understand. They did not have a grasp of what produced that environment. So they could enjoy something that they couldn't replicate. And I was reminded of Genesis 32 where Jacob took a nap, put his head on the rock, slept, and all of a sudden he goes into this dream and God's at the top of this ladder and there's angels ascending because they didn't descend, they ascended and then descended because they were assigned to that geographic place. And Abram mean, uh, Jacob is, is, is uh, sleeping there and the Lord speaks to him And tells him his destiny. He wakes up and like, wow, what a profound encounter. And he says this, God is here and I knew it not. And unbeknownst to Jacob, he had entered into a place that had been cultivated by his grandfather. Twice, Abraham had made sacrifices at that place, Luz, which became Bethel. Bethel. And the sacrifice of the grandfather opened something up in the spirit. Jacob stepped into, and he could enjoy something he didn't pay a price for. Abraham did. He sacrificed valuable things to the Lord. I don't remember what he sacrificed. Probably a, a bowl. I don't know. But he sacrificed to the Lord and opened something. And that, that really was intriguing to me. And I preached on it there. And I began to lean in about a theology of an open heaven. Began to ask the Lord about this. Jesus, when he arrived, he said to Nathaniel, he said, you will see angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. He was declaring himself Bethel, the house of God, an open heaven. So you can, be, you can be a man or a woman of an open heaven. Remember when we had Todd White here. Everywhere you took that guy, people got healed. You couldn't take him shopping. You'd lose him. <laughs> Randy Bixby took him to the mall, pulled up to a stoplight, light turns red, there's a guy out there with a cane. Todd gets out of the car and starts praying for the guy, and Randy's like, the light's green, get in. They're going through the mall, he kept losing them. He'd go into stores and have words of knowledge. for The man is a living, walking, open heaven. It's a beautiful thing. But that's not enough. There's an open heaven geographically and over a church. God wants to create an open heaven in the form of his church. When he said of Bethel, he said, this is Bethel, the word literally means house of God. If this is his house, is this his house? Yes. Then he should be residing here. Yes. And people should encounter him when He walk in the door. When they open the door, oh my goodness. There is a presence from another realm. More than that, when they, their tires roll across the threshold of our property, they should say, oh man, he's here. So God is looking for an open heaven. Real quick here. Let me read a couple things real quick and then we're gonna close. Okay, I was, <laughs> it's been a number of years I, I preached on this, but it just struck me again. Do you know that in the spiritual realm, well, let, let me say this, that uh, I'm gonna tie the analogy into reality, okay? Scripture talks about the windows of heaven talks about doors in the spiritual realm. And then it talks about gates in the spiritual realm. What's the deal with that? Is that just poetic talk? Uh-uh. I've got some good friends that are real theological intellectuals, and I love talking to them. And some of them would say, Dave, you're stretching this too far. I'm not. There are windows of heaven. Scripture, there's three verses in Scripture that talk about the windows of heaven being open. What's a window? A window is when you're inside a room and you open up a window so that you can access the atmosphere outside the window. You have access to two realms, inside and outside. And the climate of the external realm can make its way into the internal realm, right? Is that that fair? The windows of heaven are the same thing. There are times windows open, and God, God will flow in. And so we, we need to access those things when those windows come open. John Kilpatrick told me one time, he said, he said, I believe in every service a window opens for the Spirit to move, and we've got to discern it and step in. And if we don't, the window will close. There are windows in the spiritual realm. But then there are doors in the spiritual realm. Remember when John, the beloved, he's on the Isle of Patmos, and he goes into a vision and he said, Behold, I saw an open door, and I heard a voice come up here. And when he went through it, he was in heaven. He was, he was able to access another realm through doors. But doors are made for personal entrance, not corporate entrance. Gates, however, are made for corporate entrance. Jesus said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Jacob talked about the gate of heaven. He said, this is none other than the, he was talking about Bethel, what we just talked about, from two different perspectives. It's the house of God from a human perspective, from an earthly perspective, rather, but from a heavenly perspective, it's the gate of heaven. How does heaven enter in through the gate? And so there are gates You can have an open door. You can have encounters, and that's wonderful. Go for it. We all need that. I want to be transformed, but I need to have a grid work that I need to leverage my open door so that the gates over a region will move. When Jesus talked about the gates of hell, he was not talking about hell as a location, but rather hell's occupation of the entry points to our regions. And he's saying that we can seize the gates. But that is a corporate thing. And that's what God is after. So let me land this. Here's the thing. You drink from the well, you get saved. You release the river, you're baptized in the spirit. Then we cry for outpourings. Why? Because we need it and our region needs it. I need it to replenish my riverbed because I can... Run dry. I heard a preacher say one time, we're not only spirit-filled, we're spirit-spilled. We leak. And so we need to keep on being filled, Paul said. But there's this last dimension that is the ultimate dimension, and that is the dew of heaven. And we'll get into that next week, God willing, okay? Because we don't have time to get into it today. Stand. Stand. I'm telling you that the dew of heaven is what God is really after and it is connected by us honoring and living in relationship with one another and we will never touch what God wants without that. The oasis of heaven on earth comes about by churches that touch the reality that releases the dew of heaven. And so next week we're gonna take communion. We're gonna receive communion. And it's very much connected with the reality that must be achieved. There's something you and I need to do in order to touch the dew. There are things that we need to apply so that God will release the dew. And I'm going to share with you next week, at least just in mentioning, why the dew is so significant. Okay? Father... Lord, I thank you for your word. And Lord, I'm asking God that you do with us, in us, through us, to us, whatever you have to do. But Lord, do not leave us the same. God, do not leave us the same. Lord, like that woman with the issue of blood, too much is flowing out of us and being lost. God, we need your touch. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, Lord. Hallelujah. Brian Davis, would you come on up here and grab that mic on your way up here? Brian is a a pastor and a friend. Uh, ministers in Pella. Uh, what's, what's the name of the organization? Developing great relationships. I knew it was about great relationships. Developing great relationships. and uh, But I just, as he had told me he was going to be here this morning. As I was praying this morning, I just felt led. This is a man who's experienced revival. He's been in a, a move of God in their church that lasted. How, how long did that move last in strength, the, the main outpouring of it? Uh, right at 18 months. 18 months, a year and a half of tremendous revival. You know what they did? They bought mattresses to put in the back of the sanctuary and had security guarding the children because the services would go just deep into the night. So we've got to take care of our kids. Let's just buy mattresses. Now that's a church that accommodates a move of God. I love it. Yeah, isn't that awesome? So, what I want, Brian, would you, would you pray over us? Yeah. Just put your hand on me and just pray over us. We want. We're hungry, and I know you are too. And I just felt led this morning for you to pray over the church. Mm. Father, it's just amazing to be in your presence in this place today.
1: Lord, I I just sense that there are riverbeds that have run low. And so God, as as Pastor Dave just really released a word from heaven into the people today, that it is planted on good ground. It is seeded in a mighty rich soil that will produce an incredible harvest. The fruit will affect family members and family and family and family, third and fourth generation down from today. We just pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. And God, we thank you for the feeling. And Lord, more than anything, I know the heart of Pastor Dave and that is Lord, He has an ear to hear what you're saying and speaking in the earth, and he has an innate ability, God, to release it into the atmosphere to bring such a harvest. And so God, as that's being released today, in the days to come, Lord, I've never lived in a season of my life at the beginning of this year, it's the whisper that I've been hearing. And, Lord, it's just a whisper. And we think it, it is our mind, but, God, it's a whisper. But then the next day it begins to fulfill and begins to happen. Lord, will that be continue to be released in Heartland? Uh, Lord, may we be reminded and may our ears be prepared for the whisper. Lord, the whisper that you are speaking and releasing into your people. And so, God, great fruit, great revelation yes, is beginning to happen oh but god we need a fresh touch from heaven yes, god. Yes. oh lord our hands oh, would you just god. extend your hands Get in this place local, today local. our hands local. are are lifted to heaven we need a fresh touch oh, from almighty oh god this nation this region needs a fresh touch from heaven oh come and feel every street every business every home oh god in this city of ankeny and lord further lord in jesus mighty name, there are a people that is hungry in this region lord they're hungry for an outpouring. God, at times, we don't know what we're asking for, but we yes, need more Lord of you. Yes, we yes, need more yes, of you, yes. less of us, yes. but more of you, Jesus, yes, Lord. in this hour yes, and in this Lord. season that we're living yeah, in. God, and God, so cool. I'm reminded of the dancing hand she that you have. Cook, 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 cook. Just when we think that you're not yeah. moving, yes. that you're not engaged, Roe versus Wade gets overturned. Get oh my yeah. heavens. Yes. And God, yeah. yes. just when we yes. think that the dancing hand of God is not amidst us. You use a man named Elon Musk. Oh, that's not even really a believer. And he begins to turn and begins to reveal things in our atmosphere. Oh, God, we look to you and we give you praise for what you're doing in this season. And Lord, I pray that the joy of the Lord restore the joy of our salvation. I see it. I see it everywhere that I've been that, God, you would restore the joy of our salvation. God, bless bless Dave. Bless Pastor Dave and his ministry, God. Oh, Lord, he is a man that I have seen in just a short time that turns everything back to you. Everything. Everything. He doesn't take accolades. He turns them back to you. And so, God, I thank you for his humility. I thank you for his humbleness. But, God, most of all, I thank you that his ear, oh, my, is tuned to heaven. And we give you praise for that. In Jesus' name. If you believe that, Heartland, can we give Jesus a great big hand? Come on. He's
0: worthy. He's worthy. Hallelujah. Thank you, Brian. Thank you. Appreciate you, man. Bless you. All right, before we leave, listen. If you need Jesus, if you need to drink from the well of salvation, if you've walked away from God or you've never come to the Lord, listen, that's why you're here. There's a reason you're here. You're hungry for him. I want to open the altars. If you need saved, just come forward. There's not a person in this room that's going to judge you. We've all had to walk that road. We just want to welcome you. If you need the Lord, come forward right now. Anybody, just come right now. I don't want to close this service without that happening. If you don't know Jesus, if you're not right with the Lord, you need to get right with the Lord. Maybe come the first time, or you need to make things right again. You need to resurrender your life. Listen, now's the time. Don't shut that door. Take this opportunity. Anybody, just raise your hand. Amen. Amen. Pastor Laura, could you intercept this young man? Let's give this guy a hand. Amen. For his courage. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Anybody else? Anybody else need to get saved this morning? Yeah. Laura, could you grab this? Yeah. Anybody else? Hallelujah. Just come forward right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amy, could you intercept this young man? Amen. Anybody else? You need to get right with the Lord. This is your opportunity. No one's going to judge you. We want to welcome you home. Come on. I believe there's one more person. I just feel that. God's, God's inviting you. Come forward. We want to celebrate your coming to Jesus. Anybody else? Up in the cheap seats. Up on the balcony. Anybody else? Hallelujah. All right. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Jesus. Yeah. Brenda, would you? Let's give this man a hand. Amen. Thank you, brother. Hallelujah. Amen. Tell you what. Yeah, it takes courage to come forward. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you, Lord, this morning for your spirit. Lord, we are hungry for you. Lord, do whatever you have to do. Now, Lord, I bless each of these. I release your blessing over them, the Father's blessing over them, Lord, that they would be blessed going out and coming in. Lord, that you would be our rear guard. Lord, that you would go before us. Lord, protect them and their family. And, Lord, let them shine. Let them be a bright and shining lamp in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com give.